0: Welcome to Awaken Podcasts. I hope you enjoy the teaching.
1: So if you are new to Awaken, uh, we have, uh, over the last couple of years, had this tradition uh, that we've called an Advent Art Series, where we've asked uh, artists and writers in our community to come and uh, essentially be prepared on the Sundays prior to Christmas during Advent, Um, with something connected to Advent. So it's been a poem or a a writing, a short story, and then a piece of art. Um, And so this year's theme, we just sort of all focused on one theme, uh, and that being uh, longing and desire, uh, anticipation, sort of these themes of Advent. So I'm going to invite Ken Steinbach. He's going to come and share about his piece. And then uh, Nicholas, who uh, runs Sound Soundforce on Sundays, has actually written a composition. He's a uh, composer and and musician, so he's going to be sharing that in a moment. So if you would, please welcome Ken Steinbach.
2: I, excuse me. This is not as long as it looks. <laughs> Give an academic four minutes, and he writes a paper. So, uh, I'm Ken Steinbach. I'm an artist and I'm an educator here in the Twin Cities. Uh, I've so appreciated seeing the artworks by the uh, other artists during this Advent season. Uh, the work I'm going to show you, which is over here to uh, your left, uh, is a little different from those. In that in my practice, I frequently manipulate existing objects and materials rather than starting from scratch. I want to show you work that I've been tinkering with for more than about 15 years uh, and just completed a few months ago. Uh, To show you the work, I first have to show you a woodblock print by a German artist named Albrecht Durer. Uh, The work is titled The Four Horsemen. It was created in 1498, a time when many in Europe believed the final judgment was imminent. The work depicts a sixth chapter of the book of Revelations of John, where the four horsemen of death, famine, pestilence, and war are loosed upon the earth. This is Durer's original woodblock print with the figure of death on the horse at the bottom left, the figure of famine in the center, and so on. The work is terrifying as the horses trample both kings and peasants um, from left to right under their hooves. The swinging scales at the center figure, the type of scales you would use to weigh wheat or gold, reach behind the horsemen and seem to catch the sky, rolling the very sky up itself like a carpet. It is an image full of absolutes, uh, the physical world wadded up and discarded. I've also come to believe that it is an image in love with violence and the idea of divine wrath and final judgment. Uh, this is my work that's based on that Dürer image. You can see it up here after the service. The image is obviously reversed, but aside from that, it's a nearly perfect reproduction of Dürer's print. I even printed it on paper that was authentic to Germany in the year 1500. I won't bore you with the technical details, but to do this on a computer takes a couple seconds. To do this in carved woodblock takes a couple months and involves a lot of equipment. Um, There are aspects of the work that are about technology and speed, about a transition of how we make things, what it means to make an exacting but reversed reproduction of an image 515 years after the original. A principal quality of the work is about reversal, which is associated with the root meaning of the word conversion, which brings me to the idea of waiting and anticipation, the theme of all of the artwork shown during this Advent season. When I was younger, and maybe a little arrogant, I believed that anyone studious enough, and good enough, and righteous enough could know all the mysteries of the nature of God. What the future looked like, who was theologically right and who was wrong, who was saved and who was not. What the nature of salvation looked like exactly. When Christ would return and what that would look like. I took pleasure in images like the Durer image, a grand and thundering destruction of the world and the sa- with the saved whisk safely away. It was an attitude of waiting and anticipation, but waiting for the wrong things and for the wrong reasons. It was about what Micah talked about last week when he said that as Christians, we are sometimes drawn to fear. We're sometimes drawn to fear and we can have a lack of trust and a desire to control. Over time, I began to realize that the heart of the Christian life is not about having the right answers and convincing others about those answers, but of transforming our world through love and compassion. I'm reminded of this in the Advent season that Christ's ministry did not bring the religious and political power that the first century Jews were expecting. It brought something better. This is an attitude that requires the acknowledgement that one might never know all the mysteries we might like, and that might be best. In embracing this idea, I experienced a reversal, a second conversion, which is represented in the work. In this piece, the horsemen are sent backwards in time, heading back to the point of creation. Death, famine, war, and pestilence are, sent thundering, are not thundering victoriously over the land, but are in full retreat back where they came from. Instead of the physical world rolled up like a carpet to be discarded, it is filling the formless void like the first days of creation. It is a work that considers the idea that our salvation is not found in being removed from this world, but rather this world is to be transformed through us in engaged participation. We look forward in hopeful anticipation and not in fearful dread. As one theologian has noted, the Bible is a text that starts with the creation of a physical world and ends with the creation of another physical world. In between, it is the story of God's love for us, his compassion, and his grace. Merry Christmas.
3: Uh, Hello. Merry Christmas, everybody. I'm Nicholas Eggert and uh, wrote this piece for this artist series. Uh, Mike approached me in November, I think, and asked me if I'd be a part of it, and I agreed, and I really had no idea what I was getting myself into, but all I was told was that the theme was anticipation. And uh, quickly after this, I asked myself, what is it exactly that we're anticipating? It's gotta be more than uh, destroying decorative wrapping and filling ourselves in hot cocoa. So I quickly uh, asked some friends and family and they pointed me in some good directions to look and I found an answer, or at least a version of an answer in uh, the book of Luke. And uh, in the story, Zachariah, and I'm not exactly sure how this happens, but he kind of gets, like, overcome by the Spirit, and he starts singing this song, probably like Celine Dion, just gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) And the last couple of the lines in this song really hit me. It's uh, Luke 178, 179. It's to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And uh, I think it's the way, like the road, not like the way in which your life, but like the path. And I love that it's the way. It's not like the humble village or the room of peace, but it's the way. It implies journey and almost definitely some form of hardship. But despite that, we have this light and this hope. And uh, so with this as my inspiration, I composed a two-movement piece. We'll just be playing the second movement for you. The first movement kind of depicts anticipation and uh, features a lot of piano. And this second movement is pretty much all strings and then Kara plays a nice chord at the end. Uh, (laughs) But um, uh, yeah, the second movement just is kind of representative of that light and and that hope. So this is called Viem Passis, which in Latin, pronounced horribly, (laughs) means the way of light.
0: in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will. Co- Cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor, favor rests.
1: Well, this is one of my favorite times of year, and uh, it's been so fun to hear from and see all the art. Uh, if, you didn't, if you're didn't, if you new and joining us, Sarah, our good friend Sarah, everyone say hi to Sarah. Sarah has been uh, painting, and these four pieces that uh, you see hanging on the walls have been a part of this series, and uh, it has been a lot of fun. Um, so Christmas, right? A special, special time of year. We have trees, and we have presents around the tree, we have... Uh, Cookies, how many of you have cookie days where you spend all day baking cookies, eating the cookie dough, riding that line between salmonella and not salmonella? Yeah, yeah, many of you, very good, very good. And of course, uh, 40 degrees and rainstorms and slush. What in the world's been going on around here? Uh, This has been a wild, a wild Christmas, but um, family gatherings, which of course are very special, right? Family gatherings, everyone loves those. Yep. Yep. and, of course, the classic Christmas, Christmas movies, you know, Chevy Chase and others. And Christmas songs, Christmas songs. These this, these these group of songs that are set apart every year for this time of year, which I don't think we do any other time of year where we have songs that we only sing and play at a certain time of year. My mom was a bit of a Christmas song crazy person. She would just go kind of postal when people would play them before Thanksgiving. Are there any of you out there where you're just like, not cool, don't play them before Thanksgiving? A couple of you, yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, I... Christmas songs are great. I remember one particular Christmas song event in my life that will go down in infamy. I, I shall never forget it, nor will my brothers. Where there were five Witham boys, and so if you can imagine, you know, Christmas Eve trying to corral five children, uh, ten, 10 years span, so it was like, pretty little maids all in a row. We would head to my grandpa's church, which was Knox Presbyterian in the Midway. And my crazy Uncle Mike, everybody's got a crazy Uncle Mike in their family. Crazy Uncle Mike was down on one end of the pew. He's here, actually. I saw somebody pointing to him. He's like, it's right over there. So crazy Uncle Mike was down on one end, and he would always, like, lob meatballs down down the road to us as kids, just hoping, not literally, not literally, meatballs like, hey, take the bait, you know, he's trying to get us egg us on to do something dumb and embarrass everybody. So we were down there, and this one particular night, there's a... Imagine in your mind, like, the three quintessential church ladies, okay? You got them in your heads? Now, imagine they take on the very technical piece, Carol of the Bells, right? Acapella. Yeah, I mean, friends, this was just a total... This is a special number. This is a special number. And so at any Christmas gathering to date, at any point in time, someone might start singing... Ding, dong, ding. Because the one lady, it was her part the whole song. She stood there, cappella, that's all she did. Ding, dong, ding. And at a certain point, you know, the vibrato just kind of like runs out of control. You know what I'm talking about? So it was like, ding, dong, ding. It was just absolutely dynamite. You, If there was a video camera on this night, you could have played it for years to come and everybody would have had a happy, happy Christmas. It was fantastic. Carol of the Bells at Knox Presbyterian. So maybe you have some special memories with Christmas songs. Uh, One of my all-time favorites, though, on a more serious note, is the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Such a beautiful, almost haunting uh, hymn that we sing around this time. And it really, I think, plays into this season of Advent that we're in. And so, a couple of weeks ago, I was invited to do this little uh, uh, kind of meditation time. I was at a a gathering with some folks, and the, 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 the invitation was... Take this hymn, O Come, o Emanuel, Come, four of the seven verses. There are seven verses to this thing. Um, and just notice what you notice. And so I found a little spot in this house, and I just started writing down the things that I noticed. And, I, and as I was doing it, I was like, this is Christmas Eve. I want to talk about this on Christmas Eve. So, what I want to do tonight is I want to walk through four of these seven verses, as found in the old covenant, the green covenant hymnal. There are a number of covenant hymnals, green, blue, and red. Evidently, green was the best, according to the old school covenanters. But as found in the old covenant hymnal, and I want to walk through this and just see if God doesn't have anything for us. I think this taps into the history of the church. I think it taps into the history of this great, beautiful hymn and scripture. So that's what I want to do tonight. A little bit of history about this song. Uh, It was first published, as we know it, in the 1700s by a German hymnographer. These people actually exist, evidently. They're very important uh, in the history of the church. And so this guy, Johann uh, Heringsdorf, published it in 1710. And the music, the melody that we sing with it wasn't connected to the hymn until the 1800s. A lot of people believe that he, this guy got his inspiration from a French piece in the 1500s. Either way, the hymn as we have it didn't really solidify until the 1800s. Now what's fascinating about this hymn is it actually goes back, historians believe, all the way back to some of the earliest hymns that the Church of Jesus ever sang. The first published version of its inspiration is like the 6th century, and so many believe it's the 3rd, 4th, 5th century that this develops. So if you've ever been to a Roman Catholic Mass during Advent, the seven days before Christmas, there are Vespers services. And these, the inspiration of this hymn, are sung on the seven nights before Christmas. They're called the O Antiphons. So here they are um, on the days prior, uh, leading up to Christmas. And you can see uh, the Latin on the left, the English on the right, O Wisdom, O Lord, O Root of Jesse, Key of David, Dayspring. You can see where the inspiration of this hymn comes from, from the earliest, earliest people who followed Jesus, some believe. So what a beautiful story, what a beautiful history. Um, And tonight, I want to look at four of these verses. And so as we begin, I want to just note something that I find fascinating and beautiful. The hymn begins with, O come, O come, Emmanuel. It's this cry of desire, this this cry of longing, this like big ask of God that God might do something. And then it ends in faith. Rejoice, rejoice, O Emmanuel, shall come. It's like a declaration of faith. And so there is both longing and question and almost this sense of doubt or is it going to happen and then the ending of faith, which may seem a little paradoxical, like how, what does it mean to say we sing with both longing and faith, but I think if we're honest with each other, this actually is a reflection of most of our lives, is it not? Where we have these seasons of longing and desire. And God, when will you show up? When will you answer? How long will it be? We read this all over the Psalms. And yet, how many of the Psalms end, as David says, and yet I trust in you, this longing and faith. The beginning and the end of each verse. So verse 1 begins, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, who mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. So it begins with this beautiful expression, this cry from that we find in Exodus 2 at first, and then that's echoed again and again and again in the prophets throughout the story of God, where there's this cry that God might come and ransom back this captive group of people, Israel. And what's fascinating about this, and I think this is just, uh, this, is, this is really a nugget, often when Israel is crying out, it's not because God has been unfaithful or because God has not... God isn't willing to honor God's promise, but rather because of Israel's unfaithfulness or this group of people's lack of faith, they find themselves in exile. They find themselves there and they cry out from that place, often of their own will and choices, God, would you ransom us back at cost to yourself? Which is this startling moment of a group of people who try as they might, can't fix it. Can't get back, find themselves enslaved or stuck or in exile, and ask God from that place, even though it's on me, God, would you ransom us back? Would you buy us back? And I wonder if there isn't anybody here tonight for whom that cry might be appropriate. Maybe exile or stuck looks like addiction or depression or mental illness or some particular way of interacting with your family or a spouse or a dead-end job, maybe, whatever it looks like, may there be an invitation to you tonight to, like Israel, put yourself in this vulnerable position of saying, God, try as I might. I can't fix it. I can't. I keep trying, and it is not working. And so, oh come, O come, Emmanuel, ransom me, the captive, back. I wonder if anybody needs that tonight. Verse 2 O come, thou wisdom, from on high, and order all things far and nigh. To us the path of knowledge show, and cause us in her ways to go. What's fascinating, if you don't know this about biblical Hebrew, is that each word in Hebrew is actually gendered. So it's connected to a particular gender, male or female. All but one word, the name of God, Yahweh. Which is fascinating, another sermon for another day. I could go for hours, you guys. I won't, I promise, okay? But the word wisdom in Scripture is actually... It's a it's a feminine word. And so there's this picture, even in the hymn, cause us in her ways to go. So I have this image of a mother who's sort of like gathering the chaos and making order out of it. Moms in the room, does this, does this make sense to you at all? I see some of you nodding. Yeah, I felt that ordering often as a child. So it's as if the hymn hymn says, God, would you come and make order out of this chaos like you do and did in creation in Genesis 1 where the spirit of God feminine and the word of God masculine in Hebrew are making something new happen in creation. Oh, snaps. Would you come and would you bring this order out of chaos? And it's not only just show us the knowledge, but give us a desire for it. Like, have you ever known something to be true and had no desire to do it? Yeah. Raise your hands, please. I'd like to... Yeah, I did this yesterday. Right? We know something that we should do, but there's just no desire to actually do it. So it's God, illuminate the path, show us the way. Psalm 23. Lead us in the paths of righteousness and give us a desire to do it. So... Maybe there's some form of chaos or disorder that you walked into this building with tonight. I, I trust that that's probably true for maybe some of us. Maybe it's the chaos of our own lives and it's very close and personal. Maybe it's just the news and looking at whatever reports that you read and the chaos that is out there. God, would you come Can we declare in faith tonight that if we ask God and invite God into that space that God will come? O come, O come, Emmanuel. So there's exile and salvation in verse 1, knowledge and wisdom in verse 2. Verse 3, light and revelation. O come, thou Dayspring, come and cheer. Our spirits by thine advent here and drive away the shades of night. Pierce the clouds and bring us light. Uh, I had no idea what Dayspring even meant. Have you ever sing these songs and you're like, I don't even know what that word means, right? Like, come thou found here I raise my Ebenezer. Is that like an old person or what? Like, is it like <laughs> Ebenezer Scrooge? And Ebenezer, by the way, it's a pile of rocks to make a mem- like to mem- to commemorate something. So they would make these rocks and say, it's here that God did this thing. Here I raise my Ebenezer. That's free, not in the notes. Okay, <laughs> Day Spring. What on earth is a Day Spring? So I did a little digging. And uh, it's translated this way in the King James, two places, Job and Luke. Now a number of variations we get, but dayspring shows up. Have you commanded the morning since thy days and caused the dayspring to know his place? And then in Luke, through the tender mercy of God, whereby the dayspring from on high hath visited us. It's fun to talk like that. Dayspring, it's the beginning of the day. It's the first moment where light creeps up over the horizon. So the dawn is coming, and then it's that moment when you see the sliver of the sun. Come thou day spring, and when the light comes, it drives away the darkness. In Advent, we've been talking about this, this this journey we've been on, about darkness and how darkness in the scriptures isn't somewhere where God's doing nothing, but actually that darkness is somewhere where we find God always hovering, inviting, nurturing, preparing for something that's coming. And Luke's gospel, oh man, it's beautiful. So, creation in the beginning, right, there's this poem, this this narrative in Genesis, and then as you read the gospel writers, if you're looking for it, you find them saying, hey, do you remember this story? Well, here it is again. Do you remember this place where there was darkness and God brought light out of it? Well, here it is again. In In the blackness of night, Luke declares this in his gospel. It was believed to have been written in like 80, like 80 A.D., uh, and at this point, if you know history, the Romans would have already come into the, the, to, to Jerusalem, they would have sacked the temple, and one historian says, ground the city up into dust. So it's here, in this moment, just when you think it can't get any darker, when you think that the empire has beaten the last shred of dignity and promise and calling out of this people, just when you think there's no hope to hope in, the force awakens. Oh, wait, sorry. Oh, Sorry, I apologize, wrong story, I apologize, wrong story. No, back here. You kind of wonder where they get these storylines, don't you? Come on now, people, come on. This is good. So hang on, friends, it's in these moments when there's no hope to hope in. Luke says the angel shows up on the darkest of nights and says, Now, it's time, because this is who God is and this is what God does. A light shines in the darkness. And friends, it's the it's the radiance of Christmas is brightest when it shows up in the darkest places. Amen. So maybe you come here tonight and you think to yourself there's just nothing left to hope in. It's that dark. And I would say to you friends, which is what I think Luke is saying, it's actually here in this moment, right now. That the light begins to shine. And so maybe for you tonight it's o come o come Day spring, the first light of dawn. I need it, I need it, desperately, I need it. Exile and salvation, knowledge and wisdom, light, revelation, and lastly, justice and mercy. O come, desire of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid thou sad divisions cease and be thyself our king of peace. What would the world look like if Emmanuel was the desire of the nations? What would it mean if if humanity had one heart unified with God as king and peace as our reality? I'm curious, what would change for you if that were true? What would change for the poor and the marginalized and the hungry and the oppressed and those on the edges? Is it possible that Emmanuel is in fact the desire of the nations but we have wandered so far from home that we hardly recognize the name of it anymore? And I wonder what it would look like for us to cry out tonight to God to bind us together as one, that other people in the, what if we saw the world as our brothers and our sisters who have all come from the same family but have wandered from home, where our enemies are no longer our enemies but there are brothers and sisters who have wandered. What would it look like if we saw them not as enemies but as family, whom we prayed for and worked for peace with? What does it mean for you tonight to be a person who not only prays for peace, that God might use us or you in the process of bringing peace and justice and and mercy, but to participate in the bidding of our sad divisions to cease? And I think that this shows up actually every day. If we have eyes to see it. Where we're invited in small ways to be people who bring about the, 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 the bidding of our divisions to cease instead of continuing to make an us and, an, and a them out of the people around us and our neighbors and our families and our friends around the world. What would it look like if the people of God, whom represent this God who comes to bring justice and mercy, bound themselves together in unity and said, Make us people of peace. That we might bid the sad divisions that we experience away. What would that look like? So maybe this Christmas for you, there's an invitation to move towards being a person who brings about, who enables justice and mercy, who brings about peace at the gathering you're about to go to in 15 minutes. What if it's there too? Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. What would that look like? So here's how I want to close tonight. I'm going to ask John and the, uh, the orchestra. Ha, we hardly get to say that around here. That's fun. I'm going to ask them to come and they're going to offer uh, this song, O Come, O Kam Emanuel. And here's what I'd like to do I want to invite you to pick one verse. So maybe for you tonight, there is a salvation that is necessary and needed from some kind of exile or slavery of sorts or stuckness that you just cannot get free from. And so maybe it's that tonight for you. Oh come, O come, Emmanuel, ransom me, the captive. Or maybe for you tonight it's wisdom and knowledge and there is a chaos about your life and desperately you need God to come as Emmanuel and bring order out of chaos like God does in the creation story. Or maybe for you it's light and revelation. There is a darkness that has sort of covered your life or your perspective or your reality and you need desperately for God to come and bring light. Or maybe it's a cry for justice and mercy. So I want you to pick one. You could tell me I'm crazy and you're going to sing all four. That's fine. But I want to invite you to really hear something that God might be inviting you to tonight. And so as John leads, there may be a quieter verse 1 or verse 2 and a, maybe a resounding verse 3. Who knows? Who knows what's in the room? Who knows what God is doing and what you're feeling invited to? But I want, I want to invite you to hear the, maybe the quietness of that verse as an honest cry of people in the room who desperately need it and want it. So we begin with longing and, desire. and then as the verses complete, we'll all together come back and sing this refrain of rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come, has come, is coming. So let me offer a word of prayer and then we'll join our voices again. God, as we come tonight to this place and in this season of, of Advent, celebrating this moment that changes history and changes the world and hopefully changes us, as we sing this song, O come, O come, Emmanuel. God, we do so with longing, with desire, with anticipation for something you might do. And there may be wonder in that, and there may be question in that, and there may be not sure in that, but we sing it with as much as we can. And then we finish with this refrain of faith, that you have come, and that you are coming and that you will come again. So just in the next moment of silence, I'd invite you to consider what verse might God be inviting you to sing as a cry tonight, this Christmas? Friends, um, thank you so much for being here tonight. Um, As you leave, we'll invite you to extinguish the candles and there are receptacles on your way out. Um, can we thank John and the artists and Sarah and our string folks, man? So, so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Would you receive this uh, benediction? Uh, as you go, note, we have a prayer space right over here on the right. If you would like prayer for anything, if your family would like a prayer of blessing for this new year, uh, the prayer team would be thrilled to do that. So receive this blessing. May you be filled with the courage of Israel to cry out in your exile for the salvation that awaits you, the wisdom and knowledge that comes with knowing Christ, the light and revelation that God wants to bring. And may you be the people of justice and mercy, partnered with God, bringing new beginnings and new life wherever you go. In the name of the Almighty God, the parent of all that is good, the Son who came and is coming again, and the Spirit who is here with us now. Amen. Grace and peace. Merry Christmas
0: find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on facebook at www.facebook.com backslash want community or on twitter awakening community see you next time